0: You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by FitStairs, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings.
1: Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Wednesday the 16th of February. Yesterday saw the Grand National Weights published at the launch in Liverpool city centre and my guest, senior writer at the Racing Post, Lee Mottishead, was there. The news, Lee, has been dominated by the fact that Tiger Roll, dual winner of the race, will not go for a third success trying to emulate the great Red Rum. I suppose not a huge surprise, given the the narrative that has taken place from the owners and from Michael O'Leary himself, owner of Jigganstown House Stud, in recent years. Whatever you think about the the reasons, it's no doubt a great shame that Tiger Roll won't be lining up in the 2022 Grand National. Lee, you were there yesterday. What's
2: your take? Yeah, well, not for the first time, Tom. The 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 actual story, the main story from the White Flange, came from somebody who wasn't. At the weight's lunch, Michael O'Leary, who has been vociferous in the past um, when he hasn't been happy with the weight allocated to one of his horses, particularly Tiger Roll, and he very much wasn't happy again yesterday. The BHA's handicapper, Martin Greenwood, who's responsible for handicapping the Grand National, allocated Tiger Roll a weight of 11 stone four, which translates to a rating of 161 um that's five pounds down on the rating he gave the horse last year and of course he didn't run because his owners michael o'leary and brother eddie o'leary were not happy with the horse's weight at the lunch itself not surprisingly gordon elliott the horse's trainer was asked what he thought about the horse's weight and he basically repeated what he would said in a jockey club press release in the morning uh he said at the in, the, in this release we'll see how Charlton goes but he's got a nice weight, so the Grand National could be on the agenda. So Gordon at the train of Tiger, uh, Tiger Roll seemed happy with the weight, but I think all of us at the lunch knew that it wasn't what Gordon thought that would matter, it's what Michael and Eddie O'Leary thought that mattered. Um, and it became apparent during the afternoon that they were not happy. Um, Michael O'Leary has come out with a string of of quotes, I won't repeat them all, but quotes that make clear he believed that Martin Greenwood had got it completely wrong, absurd, idiotic words like that were used. Um, I just want to draw, Tom, on on, on two points in particular of of Michael Leary's criticism of Martin Greenwood and the weight he gave to to Tiger Roll. And I I couch all that against the backdrop of Michael Leary being someone who is a sensationalist figure, he, he seems to enjoy playing the pantomime villain uh, type guy, someone who in his business world, as, as, the, as the, the, the man who leads Ryanair, likes to say things that he knows will get headlines, whether that's saying that you're going to be, you have to pay to use toilets on the plane. I think he takes the view that any publicity is good publicity and he, he translates that approach, I think, to his ownership of racehorses. But on two points, I think, yesterday, he crossed the line. The first one was when he said it's sadly clear from his ratings that this handicapper doesn't want Tiger Old to run in this year's Grand National. He won't give him a fair chance. To say that Martin Greenwood doesn't want Tiger Old to run is inaccurate. I think it's also offensive. I think it's a lamentable comment because it brings into question Martin Greenwood's integrity. And I don't think that is... In question in any way. We can all debate whether we think a handicap rating is fair or not. Martin Green without the lunge, was actually talking in a way that he seemed to think that some would say he'd been too lenient on Tiger Roller Horses, won two Grand Nationals in the past. So I think that element of O'Leary's attack was was wholly unfair and deeply regrettable. The second thing though Tom is something that's arguably even even bigger um, Mike O'Leary said since we are responsible for the welfare of Tiger Roll, we must protect him from the idiotic opinion of this handicapper and it's that word welfare that I think is is particularly dangerous, entirely inappropriate here and irresponsible from one of the sport's most powerful owners. Anyone who was listening to BBC Radio 5 Live this morning on their breakfast programme, which has millions of listeners, will have heard presenters like Rachel Burden talking about this question of whether it was fair for Tiger Old to carry that much weight in the Grand National. They have made this, O'Leary has made this, an issue that is being spoken about across the airwaves today and, in a way, and, and by people who don't really understand racing and will see this as something that it is very much not... Um, people in racing really do have to be careful when banding about something as a welfare issue. Welfare issue. That that card, if thrown around willy-nilly, threatens the reputation of the sport. You know, to, to run in this Grand National, uh, carrying a forecast weight of what would probably have been 11.8 or 11.9, if you take into account the fact that the top weights aren't going to run in the race, He have probably had 11.8 or 11.9. That would be no more of a welfare risk to Tiger Roll than if he was carrying 10 stone eight or 10 stone nine. You know, Red Rum carried 11 eight as a 12 year old in sorry, 1977 when he won his third Grand National. And in those days, the distance of the Grand National was longer, um, the fences were bigger. Gordon Elliott plainly and quite rightly, doesn't see the weight that Tiger Roll was given as a welfare issue. It was not a welfare issue. Um, and it's, it's a trend though, Tom, because what, what O'Leary said, yes, it was wholly irresponsible, but it wasn't the first time he's done this. Um, back in, uh, in a previous, previous post-Weights Lunch debate, he as good as blamed the race's then handicapper, Phil Smith, for the death of Hear the Echo in the 2009 Grand National. And on that occasion, he sent a letter to members of the media and he wrote, I will never forget the fate of Hear the Echo whose national weight was considerably higher than his official Irish mark, and who collapsed and died in full view of the stands after completing four miles one furlong carrying his excessive weight in the 2009 Grand National. Now, to associate that horse's death with the few unwarranted pounds that O'Leary believed the horse was given, that was disgraceful, as was this particular comment yesterday. Um, it, it's entirely unfair, um, and I think through this regular berating uh, of handicappers, in a deeply unpleasant way, Michael O'Leary and Eddie O'Leary have acted in a way that, that demeans the Grand National, in a way that the Grand National doesn't deserve. You know, he, he was saying yes, the race will be poorer for his absence. And oh, Michael Leary is right, the race will be poorer for his absence, but it, but it won't be poorer for the absence now of bleating for several more weeks about Tiger Roll and the weight that he's given. It, it is a shame because, you know, you look at a horse like Tiger Roll, he's got five Cheltenham Festival victories, he's won two Grand Nationals, he's already a legend, he doesn't need to win a third Grand National to be a legend, but equally the Grand National doesn't need Tiger Roll to be in it, to be a magnificent race and it certainly doesn't need this background comment from someone who is entirely, um, entirely at-, at will uh, to complain and be unhappy about a horse's weight. But when he extends his criticism into areas of welfare and question the integrity of the guy handicaps a race, he's going too far. I don't think he'll regret his comments, but he absolutely should.
1: Well, I did speak to Eddie O'Leary this morning, wanted to ask him about Tiger Roll. He made it clear he wanted to draw a line under the Tiger Roll issue. He's not running and move forward for that. He was happy to talk about his other runners in the race, but um, not Tiger Roll. So ultimately, we left it there. What about other runners in the race then? Well, Ted Walsh is sending out any second now for a second tilt at the race. He carries more weight than this time last year. And that's what I started by asking him about.
3: Uh, I I the handicap and then less? But I mean he had to do his job and I had to do mine and I understand that he ran a good race last year he was about to get a few pounds. Obviously I'd be happier with a bit
1: less, but anyway, uh that's uh, looking for your changing eatness. Yeah, he, he ran a really good race, didn't he, Ted, last year? He Yeah, he ran a good race. He took to the place well, uh jumped around well, unfortunately, he nearly got bought down with the horse fell after going about seven or eight fences.
3: Got himself out of the race. And then Mark had to creep get him a great right to creep into it again. But he wasn't able to get the chance to at, at any stage to sort of get a breather. And by the time he got to the last, the tank was getting empty and he was sort of running on fumes from there up. But he ran a good race. He's a good next two runs, he ran well enough at Navin. A little disappointed with him at Gordon. I thought he'd been a bit closer in the Gal And but he's gonna run again now somewhere in the next week or ten days, either at Gordon, if we don't
1: get too much more rain the weekend or maybe the following weekend, the Fairy House or nice. You know? So he's mm. a good nick. He's definitely as good in himself as he was this time last year. That, that's the red mills you mentioned, um, obviously depending yeah. depending <laughs> on the ground. Yeah, uh, depending on the weather now. We get the kind of weather we're forecast, Gordon could be very heavy, very heavy. And I might mm. miss give that a miss and go to either House or Nays with him the following weekend. And, and interesting, he's had two hurdles, rather. that'll be his first chase start and it'll be he'll be able to two and a half if he runs That's you've done that before haven't you for your grand national runners yeah. ah yes yeah, sure. I mean it's going on I mean there's nothing about
3: I mean I remember no longer than you. the national has been offered more by horses with a plenty of pace. I mean Chris won a champion chase mm. he just got beat the national I mean you've got to have a bit
4: of this is not a slow horse he won a grade two over hurdles as a novice and uh, he's well able to he's not a two miler, but he's well
3: able to account for himself going two or two and a half and his best runs have been in the King,
1: you were over three in a bit, and in the National over four in a bit, so uh, he's versatile. He's a year older now, he's a ten-year-old, does that concern you about carrying extra weight or not? Not really, not really, he hasn't been abused, he's got another, an easy enough time that he was got ready
3: last year with the National in mind and he was knocked about beforehand, mm. and this year the same way, he hasn't. He hasn't a lot of racing done, if you know what I mean. You know, like, there's been horses that have won it, that have been busy all their lives, like that Scarborough, one of the 12, and he won a glass the Hurl as a five year old. You know, I never missed a trick in between. I think that's only a uh, sort of a, an excuse, uh, if you want to make it that way. The horses that are good and sound, that don't give you any trouble, he doesn't know he's 12. I don't know I'm 72.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's good to hear. Hey, you see where I was going with that, with it, obviously, it's such a shame. I think for many that Tiger Role isn't gonna isn't gonna reappear. Um it, you know, it's it's owner's decisions, isn't it? But where where do you stand on it being a welfare issue, Ted? In my opinion that's a lot of nonsense, but that's only my opinion. Mm. I mean, I don't know how you talk
3: about a welfare issue uh, going around the national. I mean the national is the national, whether he's twelve or ten or eleven or fourteen. I mean that's that's my opinion. Michael O'Leary has his opinion. I don't consider that a welfare issue at all. Matter mm. the fact that think it's I
1: love the bologna, but anyway, that's my Let's branch out and, and talk about the the race as a whole. Then, what about Manila Times? What about any second now? Their weight? Anything else that caught your eye, Lee?
2: Yeah, well, I, mean, I think Manila Times is, is the is the is the prime uh, topic of conversation outside of of Tiger Roll Tom because in many ways he he links to the Tiger Roll conversation. Tiger Roll's rating um, and weight. Is, reflects the fact that this is a horse who has won two Grand Nationals and traditionally handicappers have looked at what horses have done in the Grand National when framing the Grand National weights more so than in, in other races. And although Manila Times, like Tiger Roll, has been performing disappointingly of late, although Tiger Roll's Connection actually said they were happy with his most recent outing over hurdles, Manila Times has gone to a rating of 161, for this Grand National, which is £15 more than the 146 he raced off when winning so impressively last season. Now, Henry de Bromhead made clear he wasn't particularly thrilled with the weight the horse was given, but he did so in a dignified um, manner. Um, And I think people will look at Minella times and think that horse has been set a, a heck of a task, but he won the Grand National really easily, and it is not unusual for horses going on from the Grand National to perform disappointingly and then be revived when they jump those big green fences at Aintree. I think in a wider sense, Tom, what we are going to have is once again an Irish-dominated Grand National. We don't know who will win the race, but I think we're certainly going to have a race in which Ireland, I suspect, will have more runners than Britain at Aintree um, on the big day. Remember last year they had 10 of the first 11 horses home in a Handicap, which was an extraordinary uh, outcome. and It followed on Ireland's enormous success at the Cheltenham Festival. On this occasion, they've got the top seven horses in the weights as things stand, nine of the top 10, 33 of the top 57. So it will be a surprise, I think, if Ireland didn't have more runners in the race than, than, than Britain. They will certainly have more of the higher weighted horses than Britain, even though... Um, we don't really at the moment know who carried top weight. Michael Leary in his comments yesterday indicated that his horse conflated, who is one of the two joint top weights, trained by gordon Elliott, wouldn't run. Um, I think gordon Elliott and has already indicated that Galvin probably wouldn't run having gone to the Cheltenham Gold Cup, although you know, the horse wins the Gold Cup. All of a sudden he looks very well handicapped and so maybe they'll, they'll change their mind. Then you've got the third horse in the weight. He's Mellon, trained by Willie Mullins. Well, I didn't think Willie Mullins sounded overjoyed with his horse's weight yesterday so it might well be we have Chris's dream carrying top weight off 11 stone five Henry de Bromad which would mean that Manila Times were second in at the weights loads of Irish horses towards the the, the top of the weights I just think that the O'Leary's and Gornelli might well have uh, a massive player in what one run wild Fred who's a, a second season novice looks an ideal grand national type to me but the, I've only backed one horse so far, Tom. So this is one that everyone can scrub off their list. It's one I backed last year. It's one that many people backed last year. Cloth Cap, a horse who um, was so well fancied last season, having gone through the the, the campaign in, in tremendous form, winning the Labbrook's Trophy, impressive at Kelso on his way to to Tree. He burst a blood vessel on that occasion. So he's pulled up. He hasn't actually run bad races at all this season, but he's been dropped to a mark lower than the one he ran off last season. He's 33 to 1, 40 to 1 now. He'll go to Kelso uh, in a couple of weeks' time or so to have his prep race for the Grand National. I could easily see him winning that, in which case he'd probably be a 12, 14 to 1 shot. Um, so I think Cloth Cap for me is the one so far. And hopefully from here on in, we can start talking about the Grand National itself and the horses who might run in it and win it as opposed to the one who won't be running in it. Regrettably, but um, I say, in the, in the wider scheme of things, it's probably no bad thing that Tiger Roll has been taken out now at this early stage.
1: Well, one thing's for certainly, and that's that we're not going to better the story of last year and um, Rachel Blackmore's historic success in the race. But there are lots of potential stories. You mentioned uh, Trevor Hemmings' runner. That would be huge for the sport if the late sir, Trevor Hemmings' colours were to be carried to success and what about the grey mare Snow Leopardess as well well I spoke to her trainer a little bit earlier on
0: yeah there's no doubt there is yeah I think there's certainly a big story attached to her with you know with just her previous history um she's you know, a grey a mare she's got a three-year-old um there is there's plenty there's, there's plenty of potential excitement to be had with her
1: how are you feeling about her lining up at a Grand National Charlie what's your what's your sort of early expectation
0: um, well, the first things first. There'll be a lot of sleepless nights. Um, you know, for a slightly smaller yard like ourselves, it it would mean you know, it means huge amounts. And um, having one with a leechway chance is quite surreal. Um, very exciting, and um, but we've got to get it there in one piece. But can't wait.
1: Uh, at what point in her career did the words Grand National enter your mind?
0: Probably about a year ago, when we when she first started jumping a fence, she was um, she just she always loved her jumping, um, and you saw that when she ran, you know, you always see that in all her races. But as you saw that
1: you know, properly in at the in the beach chase, mm. and and that's uh, I, I suppose it's great that you know that she she enjoyed those fences, that she jumped them for fun. Really, it's obviously not a prerequisite, but it, it certainly helps.
0: It certainly helps. Um, you know, a little bit of national fence experience um, is, is another box ticked. If you know what I'm saying. Um, yes, the Grand national will be different. They'll probably be probably quicker ground, and they'll go a little bit quicker. But you know, you've seen her. You know, you, the jump she did at Beeches Brook um, at, um, um, in the beach Chase was was you know, was spectacular. And if she can jump like that, well, you've always got your chance.
4: Mm.
1: What's she like, Charlie? She's
0: she is well. She is the queen of Hull Farm, but um, she's very much known as the queen. Um, she's she knows she's she knows she's one of the best. She's, she has a lot of quirks. She wouldn't hesitate. You see, leaving the paddock every time she runs, she's she's like a rocking horse up and down the spot. She knows, you know, she's she gets excited, but she loves her job. She absolutely loves her job.
1: And are we are we going to see her on the race course before the national? The plan originally had been to go to. Um, the was
0: qualifier at Newbury in the beginning of March, but I think we'll bypass that now. She had a harder race than I wanted to give her at um, Exeter because the the conditions were so bad. Um, it was tough. I know she won fairly comfortably um, by twelve or odd lengths, um, but it was she had a she had a hard race. She had a hard race. She, she won't be showing. She's not showing it at the uh,
1: but she has a hard race. Lee, uh, some other news which broke late Monday on the, the Racing Post from Peter Scargill. I think Peter broke the initial uh, initial Gary Wood story. This is the, well, described as a bloodstock agent, I'll just use agent, um, that he's been accused of defrauding a second group of owners. Now, the initial story um, related to him withholding news from his syndicates, who he was still asking for, for payments from, that the, the horse had sadly died um and he's now been um allegedly not passing on proceeds of two horses he sold privately on on the behalf of this syndicate last year uh we we asked the question i say we i asked the question should syndicates be better regulated um that prompted a few people to get in touch and say this the agents the issue not syndicates uh and, and and absolutely we did discuss that on the previous podcast but how much for you is is this a concern and can unlicensed agents be a concern going forward, Lee?
2: Yeah, I, I think it absolutely is um, a concern going forward, Tom. I know that when the Racing Post ran its initial story on the first alleged crime uh, committed by by Gary Woods in relation to that horse, who, as you saying had, had died, Gary Woods then allegedly didn't pass on that information to the horse's owners, but continued to uh, obtain from their money for training fees. A lot of Bloodstock agents were very unhappy with that story in the sense that Gary Woods was being referred to as a Bloodstock agent. But Gary Woods referred to himself as a Bloodstock agent, and anybody can refer to themselves as a Bloodstock agent because at the moment there is no licensing of Bloodstock agents. Licensing would enable us to clearly define who is. bloodstock agent and that could be broadened out to trainers buying horses for owners and you know there, there are there are complications with trying to say what is a a bloodstock agent but i think the the practicalities of doing that are worth overcoming if you can end up with a system whereby all the very many good bloodstock agents out there don't have their names tarnished Um, through association with someone like Gary Woods, who on this occasion, in this second alleged crime, we have to say alleged Tom, because we only have one side of the story. That's because Peter Scargill, despite his very, very best efforts, um, has been unable to to reach Gary Woods. And my goodness me, I I know myself that he has tried very hard. But so far, Gary Woods hasn't uh, raised his head to answer these these allegations. But in the second instance, there are almost two sets of allegations one is that he uh, the horses that he paid or uh, all, that, all that he bought for over ten thousand pounds in the sales ring he never actually paid for that's one allegation that that Gough didn't receive any money for them from Gary Wards. and the second allegation is that when those horses were then sold in private sales for twelve and a half thousand pounds the syndicate members didn't receive any of the money that is the sort of behavior to say that that good bloodstock agents and the vast majority of people who work as bloodstock agents are uh, I'm sure good honourable people they don't want to be associated with somebody like that and I think for their benefit as well as the benefit of the people that the bloodstock agents are buying horses for licensing would be a very good idea all around. We uh,
1: led with the the news that um Horse racing had perhaps been thrown a lifeline in, in, the House of Common, in the House of Commons uh, last week. Michael Duggar has uh, come out and, and spoken about that. And I know this was um, something that was discussed at the weights launch yesterday. What's the latest on that, Lee?
2: Yeah, so to Michael Duggar, who is the uh, chief executive of the Betting and Gaming Council. He spoke to my colleague Bill Barber. Um, earlier in the week. And he stressed that although the gambling minister Chris Philp had been um, had spoken in a way that I think Racing welcomed in the House last week, in the House of Commons last week, in relation to two questions posed by Conservative backbenchers, he had sought to stress that whatever the the government determines uh, should be in the in the white paper, a white paper that will shape gambling regulation for years to come. He was adamant that whatever is in that white paper shouldn't uh, damage and would not damage uh, the the horse racing industry, which he spoke about in very glowing terms indeed. And I think racing, racing administrators, racing leaders quite quite rightly and understandably welcomed. What the Minister said in the House, Michael Duggar, a former uh, shadow uh, culture secretary culture Minister himself uh, for, for the Labour Party, has stressed that racing shouldn 't be complacent about what the Minister said and that it was still absolutely re- critical to to keep lobbying um, pigs and lobbying the government and in a in a new intervention yesterday martin stevenson the chief executive of racecourse media group which is the parent company of racing tv which broadcasts of course from most of the uh britain's top racecourses, um martin stevenson who was at the, the grand national lunch he echoed what michael Duggart had said racing Racing Rmg have been encouraging its subscribers to write to their mps to to make their views clear about the gambling view, review and, and in particular Uh, Proposals from some lobby groups that uh, extreme affordability checks should be in place, that there should be uh, a state ombudsman who would monitor all those who bet, and that bookmakers should be prevented from advertising. All those things, if they came into effect, would be hugely damaging, not just to the gambling industry, but also to horse racing. Martin Stevenson and RMG have been encouraging subscribers to. To write to MPs about that, Martin said yesterday, I do strongly urge racing fans to take the time to do this. Um, He said that as of yesterday morning, Tuesday morning, more than 5,600 emails had been sent. To MPs, and he added that people enjoy betting on racing and sports, and it is vital that government hears from fans on that so that we avoid a potential catastrophe for the sport if new legislation is not proportionate and targeted. I'll just say one more thing on on this, Tom, if if you would uh, permit me just to reference what I penned in my column in the Racing Post on Monday. You are awfully kind. Uh, It was just that there is a a thing, a a separate matter that the, the DCMS. Uh, we'll be looking at as part of this gambling review, and it relates to the restrictions and account closures that bookmakers impose on far too many uh, punters, ridiculous bet restrictions, so that you'll find people now that want to have a bet on the Grand National or in any of the Cheltenham Festival varieties will sometimes be limited to things like 73 pence or £1.24 because bookmakers a, are far too keen to pull up the drawbridge on anybody who either is a winning punter who looks either like beating SP uh, or just basically looks like they they're a bit too good at, at betting on racing. They're too keen to pull up the drawbridge, and they're also, it seems, completely unwilling to go beyond the algorithms that kick in when they think somebody is doing a bit too well. The the horse racing betters forum has. Uh, in its submission to the gambling review last year, it made clear its concerns about this. It it would prefer, it would like, and I, I've said this in, in my racing post column in the past as well, to move towards the system they have in Australia where there's a minimum bet limit, where bookmakers, in order to be licensed, have to agree to lay punters to win a certain amount on the day of race for, for, for in Australia, it's city races so over here, I guess it would be, maybe Saturday races or ITV television races, but certain races, that would be a welcome move. That probably won't come in this gambling review. In fact, it's highly unlikely to come in this gambling review. But they could make steps in the right direction, even by doing something like enforcing uh, bookmakers to inform the Gambling Commission every time they close an account or impose restrictions on an account, because at the minute we have no data to show how many punters this is impacting I think it's important that racing, and by that I mean racing leaders, racing administrators and the race course sector, are far more enthusiastic and keen and willing to uh, talk to bookmakers about this. And they need to do that because as with the, the wider, the bigger issues that we've spoken about in relation to the gambling review, the threat with all those is that if punters are put in the position where betting on racing becomes such a pain because they have to uh, give up their bank statements they have to uh, prove how much they can spend they have to go through so many hoops that they stop betting on horse racing racing loses fans racing loses customers that's the same with bet restrictions and account closures most people who enjoy horse racing they enjoy to bet on horse racing. And if they're told they can't bet on horse racing by bookmakers, it's entirely likely that their interest in racing will wane as well. So on a number of levels, this gambling review is hugely important. But that issue of bet restrictions and account closures, I think sometimes get overlooked, but it absolutely shouldn't.
1: And while we're on the news round, just to let you know, um, we were waiting yesterday for a, a decision from the Baffert hearing with the Kentucky stewards on the Medina spirit positive. We're still waiting for that. So nothing as, yeah, it is imminent, but we'll bring the latest on it on the Nick Luck day as and when we get it in. For now, we are going to get to Hong Kong because it's Wednesday. Here's Jim McGrath.
4: Hi, Nick. I hate to sound gloomy about this, but it's getting worse. Hong Kong is taking further precautions against covid with the Hong Kong Jockey Club now closing its clubhouses at Happy Valley, Sha Tin and its lavish country club facility at Bee's River near the border with China. It's all because a fifth wave of COVID has gripped the city, striking just after the Chinese New Year. The Hong Kong Jockey Club say they are compelled to introduce the closures in order to protect employees and members. And clubhouses will remain closed until February the 27th. Thankfully, racing carries on though. On the track, there are nine races at Happy Valley today and there's the big Hong Kong Gold Cup fixture at Sha Tin on Sunday. We might talk about that a little bit later in the week. Only those directly involved with the horses and officials on race day duty are permitted at the race course for the time being. Everybody else watches at home on TV. Zack Purton, well, he's still firing in the winners, but not with the same deadly accuracy of a couple of weeks ago. One winner for Zack last Saturday. It was a particularly tough day for punters. He's now eight behind Joe Moreira and still closing. It might be a little easier, though, for punters this Wednesday. I can see Zach delivering on race five, number one, Birdsville for David Hayes. This horse raced in Australia for Peter Moody and was an import for Hayes. It's done particularly well and shows a heap of promise. So in this Class 4, 6 furlong sprint, I think number 1, Birdsville, in Race 5, can get the money. Zach's got an excellent chance in the next race, Race 6, which is a Class 4 race over 16.50 metres. He rides the very consistent, loyal baby uh, has done everything right, but just finding it hard to put his head in front. Well, I think he gets his opportunity this time. He's absolutely perfectly drawn in three, and I think we'll be up there all the way and we'll get the money. So race six, number one, loyal baby for Zach Purton and for Frankie Law, and take him in a tote swinger with number four, Villa who who's ridden by uh, Antoine Hamelin. Now, later on, save a little bit for race eight, number eight, Eson. Now, Eson's a three-year-old gelding by Written Tycoon. He's already won at Chartin. 10. He's run second at Happy Valley in a pretty good race, too, behind winning a boom, loving a boom, I should say, and that's good form. So I would say Eson can go in this time for Matthew Poon. So race eight, number eight, Eson, a good bet there to beat number three, Elon. So that's Happy Valley. Uh, this Wednesday, and that's all on the Hong Kong beat for this week. I'll have more for you next week.
1: Rightly, Mott said, Senior writer at the Racing Post, as I write every time you are, you're on with us on the Nick Luck Day. <laughs> that well, that senior is very important.
2: It's, but, but it's, but it's, I'm definitely not, though, Tom the Racing Post senior tipster, which has become wow. very apparent with my recent tips on this, on this fine broadcasting platform.
1: But there's, there's, okay, so, okay, Senior writer at the Racing Post junior tips
2: (laughs) yeah yeah why
1: not there we go what's your tip today
2: well tom in recent appearances um on the on the pod i have been tipping horses trained by Venetia williams and ridden by charlie deutsch and i have the rare achievement of tipping the only ones that appeared not to have been winning um but i'm going to try again to write to that wrong, and recommend Fuji Flight in the 305 at Hereford, the Harrison Clark Rickerby's Novices Handicap Chase, is a horse who hasn't won for a while, a bit like myself, but I'm hoping that uh, for Williams and Deutsch, Fuji Flight can be successful in the 305 at Hereford.
1: Lee, lovely stuff, thank you very much indeed, thanks for listening along at home, uh, do rate us, do review us, subscribe, feel free to comment on any of the topics raised today, I'm sure you'll have plenty to say. We'd like to hear from you. Nick will return tomorrow. Bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitstairs, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.